Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. We are only nine days away from the start of the NFL's 100 season. Nine days. God, it can't get here soon enough. And thus tonight, we complete our 2019 divisional tour around the league with a deep dive into the NFC South. And what better person on earth is there than our good friend Jordan Reed of the Draft Network to break down all things Bucks, Falcons, Panthers, and Saints. It's great to have you back on the pod, Jordan. How you doing? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on. Once again, it's always a pleasure to be on this pod. Oh, it's always a pleasure having you and your amazing football mind on this pod, Jordan. And let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if the Bucks' 2019 season can be summed up in two words, those words are clearly Jameis Winston. This is the final year of his rookie contract, and to give him arguably his last best chance, the Bucks lured the quarterback whisperer himself out of retirement, Bruce Arians, to be their new head coach. Arians' track record speaks for itself, and if he can't get the best out of Jameis, nobody can. If Jameis underwhelms again this season, do you see the Bucks doing all they can to get the quarterback they want in the 2020 draft? Yeah, I think so. And I say that because we know Bruce Arians is no spring chicken. He's not a guy that's getting any younger by the day. I believe he's going to turn 67 years old, I believe, during the season. So he's going to win. He's going to want to win right away. And he'll find out really quickly if Jameis is not the guy. And I think the best move that they could have made for Jameis was bringing in Bruce Arians. And I say that because he has a track record of really turning around the career of guys that have been known as turnover prone, that are very risk adverse, just like Jameis was coming into the draft. And Bruce Arians has experience with guys like Andrew Luck, uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, and some other guys to be exact. Peyton Manning was another guy that he was able to turn around after throwing, I believe, 28 interceptions his rookie season. So if nobody, if there's any Anybody that could really cure Jameis and his turnover propensity, I think it can be Bruce Arians. And if Bruce Arians is not able to do that, I don't think nobody in this world will be able to do it. Oh, you subbed it up perfectly there, Jordan. And by the way, folks, buy Bruce Arians' book, Quarterback Whisper. It's one of the best books on football I've ever read. It is a must-read for any football fan. And let's go to our Tampa Bay Buccaneers fantasy focus for a second now. And the fantasy appeal for this Bucks passing attack under Bruce Arians is mouthwatering. You obviously have Mike Evans, whose current ADP is around 20 overall. But Chris Godwin, whose ADP is around 43 overall, is somebody both the fantasy community and the Bucks are equally as high on. Mike Evans himself said that he and Chris Godwin are competing for that number one receiver role in this offense. Would it surprise you if Chris Godwin has as many or more receptions, receiving yards, or and touchdowns as Mike Evans does this year? Yeah, that really would surprise me just because I think Mike Evans is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. And ever since he stepped foot into the NFL in 2014, I believe it was, he's had a thousand yards every single year, no matter who the quarterback has been, even when Jameis has struggled and the Bucks have thrown in a bunch of backup quarterbacks throughout his time, whether that was Ryan Fitzpatrick or anybody else, he's still been able to put up those consistent numbers. And I see Godwin as the definite number two wide receiver to Mike Evans, but we know who the number one lead guy is of that wide receiver corp. So it would be really surprising if Chris Godwin's numbers really did even come close to Mike Evans' numbers. But I think once again, Mike Evans is going to have a fantastic year. Oh, likewise myself. 
off. And let's talk about this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And last season, they had one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And their season could be set up in one game. It would be against the Bears, allowing six touchdown passes to Mitchell Trubisky. And while the Buccaneers may have added Todd Bowles, a fantastic defensive coordinator, not the best head coach, but mark my words, a fantastic defensive coordinator, as well as a potential defensive rookie of the year candidate in Devin White, still a lot of holes and question marks remain on this side of the ball for the Bucs. Jason Pierre-Paul is likely out until November at the earliest due to the injury he suffered in that car accident, meaning their best pass rusher is Carl Nassib, a very solid but not great player, and their much maligned secondary, and once again, I cannot believe they took Vita Vea over Derwin James. I will never, ever understand that for as long as I live. It's also still young and unproven, despite some of the improvements some of the younger guys have been making this preseason. Does this look like another bottom five defense to you? I don't think so, just because I think the presence of Devin White coming along with Todd Bowles, I think that's going to help them bump up a few spots. And we've seen them add some free agents as well. Like you mentioned, Carl Nassib, they added him last year from the Cleveland Browns. I was really surprised that the Browns did let him go. They brought in Indominus Sue as well. They replaced him. They moved on from Gerald McCoy. So I think Sue is a little bit better as a pass rusher, but it's just about effort and consistent down-to-down basis with him. If he's able to turn it on and really play at a high level for Todd Bowles, I think think he could help that pass rush and that's always what it has been with the Buccaneers they just haven't been able to generate a consistent pass rush and I was really surprised that they didn't really spend any draft picks there to improve their pass rush overall even though they bring that even though they did bring in and Dominican Sue that's more of an interior pocket pusher as opposed to having guys come off the edge so with that being said Jason Pierre-Paul now being out until November they still have some question marks with guys coming off the edge Noah Spence really hasn't lived up to the hype after they took him in the second round of the 2016 draft and then we've seen them just throw picks at the secondary in the hopes that it can improve, but we just haven't seen that to this point. Yeah, improvement should be expected, especially with Todd Bowles and Devin White coming in there, but the Bucks still look like a team that is more likely to be playing from behind and in shootouts more often than not, doesn't it? Yeah, especially with Bruce Arians coming in. Totally. And moving up north to Georgia and the Atlanta Falcons, and in 2018, Matt Ryan had the best season of his career outside his 2016 MVP campaign. He became just the fifth quarterback in NFL history, the fifth, to throw for 35 touchdowns and miss the playoffs. One of the two biggest reasons the Falcons missed the playoffs, and we'll get into arguably the biggest one a little bit later on, was the struggles of their offensive line. And outside of franchise tagging that subsequently resigning Grady Jarrett, the Falcons poured most of their offseason resources into upgrading the offensive line, signing guards James Carpenter and Jamon Brown in free agency, and drafting guard Chris Lidstrom and offensive tackle Caleb McGarry in the first round. How much better can we realistically expect this Falcons offensive line to be? I think it'll be better just because of the presence of Chris Listrom and we'll see what happens with Caleb McGarry and his heart situation. But I think Chris Listrom is going to come in and solidify the right side of that right guard spot of their line. We know Alex Mack is already a stud, but their guard spots were really a weakness last year. They moved on from Brandon Fusco and some other guys. Uh, they signed Jamon Brown and also James Carpenter as well. And then they threw some draft picks at that right side as well, the offensive line in general, like I said, with Chris Listrom and Caleb McGarry. But the Falcons overall, it was just injuries that just decimated this team last year from Deion Jones to Keanu Neal both being out for the year early in the year to some other guys going down as well so the depth really had to step up for this team and they just didn't have it last year and the Falcons have always been one of the most talented teams in the NFL to me but they just haven't been able to put it all together since their failure in the Super Bowl a couple years ago against the Patriots. Oh very good point we're going to talk about those injuries and that defense in just a minute but first here is our Atlanta Falcons fantasy focus last season on 92 targets 
Calvin Ridley, in his rookie year, caught 64 passes for 821 yards and 10 touchdowns. According to Fantasy Football Calculator, his current ADP is around 55 overall. Now, you got past first offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter returning to Atlanta. And with Dirk Cutter now back in the mix, do you see any room for statistical growth from Calvin Ridley this season, even amidst a deep pass-catching core? And also keep in mind, Calvin Ridley was not quite 100% last season, given that ankle injury, I believe. Yeah, and I think this is one of the more deeper wide receiver corps in the league. And I think they have one of the best top three guys in the league, I should say, with Julio. Uh, Sanu and then Calvin Ridley coming along last year as their first round selection so with Ridley it's really going to be hard for him to overtake Muhammad Sanu as the number two guy but I think he could settle in very nicely at that number three spot and we saw it last year where he caught a whole bunch of touchdowns he started off the year red hot and I expect him to do the same this year just because of how much attention Julio Jones is going to accommodate and then you have Muhammad Sanu really manning that slot position and then they like to play Calvin Ridley outside from time to time as that number three guy so I don't expect him to put up really gaudy numbers, and I, it's going to be hard for him to replicate his success just because of some attention that he is going to garner this year. But it wouldn't surprise me if he does end up with like 600 or 700 yards and maybe seven or eight touchdowns. I think those are fair numbers for him. Thus, uh, do you think his current ADP around 55 overall is a little too rich for your taste in fantasy? I would say so just because I think he's going to be a number three wide receiver. And even though Muhammad Sanu is on the final year of his contract, I still think everyone knows that Calvin really is going to be the guy that eventually overtakes that number two spot after this year just because Sanu is going to be too expensive for them to resign uh, just because I think he's going to have another good year this year but him being the number three guys don't see him his value at that 55 overall slot. Thank you very much for that uh, observation, Jordan. And moving on to that Falcons defense, and as you said, the other biggest reason, if not the biggest reason, the Falcons squandered an historically great season for Matt Ryan in 2018 was injuries to key players on defense. Keanu Neal went down with that torn ACL in the first game of the season, and Deion Jones missed most of the season with a foot injury. If their defense is able to stay healthy and the offense continues to click, should we expect a return to the playoffs for the Falcons? Oh, absolutely. And I think this division is going to be a gauntlet overall. And I mean a gauntlet just because anybody can win this division. Now, I don't see Tampa having as much talent as some of the other teams in this division. But we all know any given day in the NFL, any team could slip up. And I think the NFC South from top to bottom, I think definitely is probably the strongest conference in the NFC, in my opinion, just because of how top heavy it is. Oh, I agree. This could be the most competitive division in the NFL this year. And another key adjustment they made on defense this year, Dan Quinn fired defensive coordinator Marquand Manuel, and he will essentially serve as the team's de facto defensive coordinator uh, in 2019. How much does Dan Quinn calling the plays now help, if at all? I think it'll help a lot just because anytime the head coach really overtakes play calling, even though he's going to be a bit more conservative than maybe what Marquand Manuel was a year ago, he has a really good mind. Dan Quinn, he's a very respected name throughout the league and a very good defensive mind as well. So I think they'll be very good defensively and considering that their personnel is going to be better now that everybody is back and healthy. Thank you very much, Jordan. And now moving on to your neck of the woods in the Carolinas and the Panthers, where Cam Newton, who is coming off his second shoulder surgery in three years, he told Peter King in a very, very candid interview uh, in Peter King's Football Morning in America column at the beginning of training camp that he is embracing 
a new play style. What kind of adjustments to Cam Newton's game should we expect given his twice-repaired shoulder? Well, I think the first thing is his new release. Everyone's talking about how it's more over the top as opposed to three quarters. And with that three quarters release, it was more of a Phillip Rivers type style where it's really hard to control where the ball is going to go. Even though Cam Newton hasn't been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, he still has tremendous arm strength with that. And everyone has seen all or nothing and just the type of beating that he took last year. They're not going to run him as much, even though that's really how he gets accommodated and incorporated into games. I don't think they're going to run him as much just because because of some of the durability issues that he has went through in past years. And North Turner, he's a good enough play caller in order to scheme some things open. So I expect him to kind of take the reins back a little bit as far as him running the ball and with quarterback design runs and letting him throw the ball a little bit more. And uh, he might... Uh, not have the arm strength he once had before these uh, shoulder surgeries but a thing for Panthers fans and fantasy owners to be very encouraged by is that the Panthers possess not one not two but three elite run after the catch weapons uh, in this offense obviously Christian McCaffrey who will be a top two pick in fantasy drafts and wide receivers DJ Moore entering his second year out of Maryland whose ADP is around 64 overall per fantasy football calculator and Curtis Samuel the third year wide receiver of Ohio State, who the Panthers expect big things from, uh, has an ADP at around 80 overall, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. And those three guys uh, have the potential to make Cam Newton's job a lot easier with his new approach to playing uh, quarterback. But from a fantasy perspective, which of the two Panthers wide receivers would you prefer to own in fantasy, DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel? I would say Curtis Samuel, just because he's really been the talk of the town. Down here in North Carolina, a lot of people are really excited about him, just talking about how much better he's become as a route runner. His hands are much more consistent than what he's shown back in 2017 when they took him in the second round. So there's a lot of excitement about him, and I think they're going to find a bunch of different ways in order to get him the ball. And that's just not out wide at receiver. They can play him in the slot, and they can play him back in the backfield sometimes as well, just like he showed at Ohio State. So I'm excited to see how they use him this year. And and if he makes another step forward in his development. Oh, totally. Uh, like uh, you're saying, uh, they could use him as a Percy Harvin type chess piece. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing how the uh, Panthers uh, utilize Curtis Samuel. And back to Christian McCaffrey for a minute. I'm uh, having this dilemma. I have the first overall pick in one of my leagues, and I'm splitting hairs between Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. And yes, uh, you could talk about Saquon Barkley all you want, but I think it's closer from a fantasy perspective than you think between him and McCaffrey, especially since... I expect the Giants offense to go through more growing pains this season. And uh, McCaffrey scored just as many, if not more, touchdowns, I believe, than Saquon Barkley did uh, last year. So would you fault fantasy owners for taking Christian McCaffrey with their first overall pick in the draft? Oh, not at all. And, I mean, anytime a running back gets 106 catches on the year, that is really, really impressive. And just looking back at his film, I was shocked to look back at his numbers because prior to looking at his film, I didn't know his stats and I didn't know he had 106 catches, which is an astronomical number for a running back, something we haven't seen in a very long time. So they're going to find a way to get the ball to Christian McCaffrey, whether that's as a receiving threat or out of the backfield. He is their best weapon on offense outside the guy under center and Cam Newton. And we just talked about how they want to take the reins back a little bit from him as far as a runner. I think you substitute that by giving more giving more of the load to Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel. So I think Christian McCaffrey is going to have a monster year. Thank you very much for that take, Jordan. And let's talk about this Panthers defense for a second. And this front seven, even with Thomas Davis now gone, it looks as scary as ever. You bring in Gerald McCoy, who you mentioned earlier, on a one-year deal to team up with K.K. Short on the inside. You also still have a top-ten linebacker duo in Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson. And not only that... 
You draft the freakish athletic Brian Burns to replace future Hall of Famer Julius Peppers at defensive end. You had Brian Burns as your sixth best prospect in the 2019 NFL draft. What kind of dimension does Brian Burns add to this intriguing front? And is he a dark horse defensive rookie of the year candidate for this season? Yeah, I think he is. And you saw it in preseason. I mean, he was absolutely a tear off of the edge, even though a lot of things were, I would say, I wouldn't say hand to him, but he was on a lot of loops and stunts and he still has to figure out as far as using his hands off of the edge and things of that sort. But as far as a guy that is bendy off the edge, has the has those rubbery hips and able to corner and just win with pure speed off of the edge against offensive tackles, he is that right away. And I think he is a dark horse defensive player, rookie of the year candidate. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he does end up as a 10 plus sack type of player right away just because I think he can get a, he can get away with some of his natural ability as far as a pass rusher and getting up the field and his burst. That's really what he adds to the table. So with guys like Dontari Poe, Gerald McCoy, and even the KK Short demanding so much attention along the interior, it's going to free up Brian Burns for a lot of one-on-one situations, which I expect him to win right away. Oh, very good point. Plus, the Panthers also have some pretty outstanding depth at edge, do they not? It's decent. I would say Mario Addison, He's he's a decent player. Brian Burns, I think he's going to end up starting at that outside linebacker spot in, the, in that defense. So we'll see if their pass rush really needs to take another step forward. But with Julius Peppers now out the door, there is a little bit of lack of depth. But I think it's much better at the top once you add a guy like Brian Burns in the first round. And last but not least, we go to the Bayou and the New Orleans Saints, who, after two of the most heartbreaking playoff losses in NFL history, are eager to send Drew Brees riding over to the sunset with another Super Bowl ring. And last season, when it comes to Drew Brees, it was almost a tale of two seasons. In weeks 1 through 11, Drew Brees not only set the all-time passing yardage record, by the way, I saw the jersey from that game at the Pro Football Hall of Fame when I went there earlier this month. Uh, Not only did he set that record, he posted a 76.4 completion percentage, threw for 3,135 yards, 29 touchdowns, and only two interceptions as the Saints averaged 37.2 points per game. But in weeks 12 to 17, the Saints just averaged 20.7 points per game and breezed through for only 1,407 yards, seven touchdowns, and five interceptions. Was the end of last season the beginning of Drew Brees' inevitable decline, or does he still have one more stretch of elite production left in him at age 40? I think he has plenty left in the tank, and the Saints have done a really good job of pairing him with some good weapons on the perimeter. They just locked down Michael Thomas for an extended period of time, making him a $100 million man. Ted Ginn can still open the game wide open at any point with his speed. Traquan Smith was a pleasant surprise for them last year as well, and then you still have the duo in the backfield of Alvin Kamara and and they added Latavius Murray this year and Mark Ingram with him going on and moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. I think Murray can come in right away and really fill the void that Mark Ingram left. So I think that can be another type of dynamic duo. And then their offensive line is always one of the best throughout the entire year. And I think an underrated pick last year was them selecting center Eric McCoy in the second round from Texas A&M, who has had a really good preseason. And I think he's going to end up winning or that starting center battle. Oh, yeah, very good point. Uh, Max Unger um, unexpectedly retiring and them trading up, squandering a second-round pick next year to get Eric McCoy just tells you all you need to know about the Saints. It's Super Bowl or bust for them as long as Drew Brees remains under center. And another key addition to this offense uh, that you didn't mention is Jared Cook. Jared Cook uh, had some amazing games for the Oakland Raiders last year. That offense was borderline unwatchable. He actually made that offense fun to watch last year. And now you add Jared Cook... 
to a pass catchy core that outside of Michael Thomas, especially at the end of last year, it was devoid of playmakers. What kind of key dimension does Jared Cook add to the Saints offense? And do you think that he can help eliminate some of those weaknesses that were exposed at the second half of last season? Yeah, I think so. And they had a huge void at tight end last year. They just didn't have that consistent threat that they're used to having since the Jimmy Graham days when he was in New Orleans. But Jared Cook adds that similar type of dynamic that can be a running or a blocking and a receiving type of threat. And he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he can or he knows how to separate in man-to-man covers. But also he knows where to find or how to find the soft spots in zone coverage as well. So he's going to be a definite security blanket for Drew Brees in a lot of different dimensions or areas of the field. Oh, especially the red zone, man. He could really come in handy in that red zone and draw coverage away from Michael Thomas. Yep. Totally. And uh, let's go to our Saints fantasy focus. And as you mentioned, the Saints signed Latavius Murray the offseason to replace Mark Ingram, who departed for a bigger payday in Baltimore. And uh, the current ADP for Latavius Murray, according to Fantasy Football Calculator, is around the 70th overall pick. If Drew Brees does indeed have one more elite season left in him, as you suggested, is it quite possible, if not probable, Latavius Murray, in that Mark Ingram role, runs for over 1,000 yards and 8 to 10 touchdowns, thus smashing that ADP? I don't see a thousand yards for him just because of the workload that Alvin Kamara is going to get. Everyone knows that he's the top guy in that offense, but I think 700 to 800 yards, I think that's very attainable for him. And that's really maximum to me just because Latavius is a very underrated receiver out of the backfield. And yes, he can. He can't run between the tackles or out on the perimeter, but he has very soft hands and the Vikings did a good job of incorporating him in their passing game last year and he showed to be a reliable option. So I don't see a thousand yards. I think between 600 and 800, I think that's more of a realistic number for him. But uh, do you think he could have like eight to 10 touchdowns, especially since he might siphon a lot of goal line carries away from Kamara? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really where his value does lie. And he was their bell cow guy last year in the red zone. And then when they needed to punch it in, especially on third down or short situations, he was their guy. He essentially was their hammer down there in the red zone and in the goal line area. Yep. So Latavius Murray would still be a very good uh, running back to take at that spot because he has double digit touchdown potential. And when you look at the Saints defense, this is still a very, very potentially elite unit, but they did take a little bit of a step backwards last year compared to 2017. Marshawn Lattimore didn't look like the best corner in the league last year. And they said goodbye to some key guys up front. Alex Okafor comes to mind. And Marcus Davenport, entering his second year out of UT San Antonio, who they traded up in the first round of 2018 to get him surrendering a their 2019 first round pick in the process. A lot is going to be put on his plate this year, lining up opposite of Cameron Jordan. They need that spot opposite Cameron Jordan to be solidified this season because they said goodbye to Alex Okafor and some other guys uh, at that position. So, is Marcus Davenport arguably the key to the Saints defense play closer to their 2017 level? I wouldn't say he's the key, but I think he's a very important piece. And I mean, this D-line is really good, has the potential to be really good. I should say Sheldon Rankins, another player that's very underrated throughout the league. Cameron Jordan's one of the best defensive players throughout the entire NFL. And now they just need that other guy opposite of him really to improve his development. That's what they're waiting for Marcus Davenport to do. Everyone knows that he was really raw coming out didn't really he possessed all the intent or the tangible things but he didn't possess that proper hand usage and he didn't have a lot of moves he was just used to standing up as far as rushing off the edge and that's where a lot of his success came from but he just didn't have or he didn't know how to sharpen those tools in the tool shed that he already had and that's what the saints are waiting on him to do oh good point there but would you say the key then for the saints defense to play closer to that 2017 unit is marshawn Lattimore reasserting himself as a candidate for best corner in the game? 
Yeah, absolutely. And he was fantastic during his rookie year. But he took he took a bit of a step back last year. And then everyone likes to call it the sophomore slump. I wouldn't say it was a huge slump, but he just didn't look like the same confident player that we saw in 2017 when he was I believe he was a Pro Bowl player that had one of the best rookie seasons from a corner that we had ever seen. So him alongside Eli Apple, they need both of those guys to really take the next step in their development in order for this team to be one of the best in the NFC. He is Jordan Reed, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch his work at the Draft Network, the best resource for year round NFL draft coverage and you can follow him on Twitter at J Reed NFL and that's R-E-I-D folks and he is not uh, the same as Jordan Reed of the Redskins folks that's R-E-E-D folks just uh, wanted to let you folks at home know that and Jordan it's always a pleasure having you on the program but before we let you go I want to hear your predictions for the NFC South in terms of records this season like uh, starting in first place who wins the division this year and with what record um I believe on my the draft board podcast I had the Saints going 12 and 4 and and I had the Falcons going eleven and five. I had the Pan- the Panthers going nine and seven, and the Bucks six and ten. That was my prediction for the NFC South. I think the Saints have one of the best rosters, not only NFC but from top to bottom. I think he's one of the best in the NFL. This team is absolutely loaded on offense, but it's just a matter of if this defense can take take that next step up, like we saw in two thousand seventeen. And we just talked about it. Guys like Cameron Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore, they need to provide that type of consistency that we've seen year in and year out. And if Lattimore is able to return to his 2017 form, I think this defense can be really good and they can get back to that NFC title game. Thank you, Jordan. And that concludes our 2019 NFL Division by Division preview on Sports Cross. But we'll be back in just a few days with a special 2019 NFL prediction show. So stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jordan Reed. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Jordan Reed, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome. Stay awesome.